Virginia Tech stumbles at Wake Forest, maybe falling out of the league title hunt. UVA played one of its best games of the season, but still came up short at Miami. That, what to look forward to in the ACC, and we debut a new segment with Roanoke columnist Aaron McFarlane, AMAX Puppy Chow, this week on Teal and Barber. Welcome in to episode 26 of Teal and Barber, Richmond Times Dispatch, and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC Sports Podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and here with me, as always, is my co host, the 13 time Sports Writer of the Year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, Mr. David Teal. David, how are you? Good morning, Mike. I'm well, and hope you're the same. For the second weekend in a row, <laughs> I got to make a less than glorious trip to Winston-Salem for a game at Wake Forest. We'll get to that in a bit. But David, uh, you returned to the skies to, to see my me and UVA play. You flew down to South Florida. I'm imagining there wasn't any beach time, any South Beach clubbing for you. My my, my South Beach clubbing days are decades <laughs> past. And, and actually, I flew down on game day. You know, with the game being Saturday night, I arrived, I guess, in Lauderdale around 11 a.m. and went to my hotel and watched some college football. Yeah, there there are worse ways to spend a day, although if you could find a outdoor tiki bar or a setup on the beach, that might have been preferable. Now, <laughs> by contrast, I spent the night in lovely Danville, Virginia. Uh, adjacent to my hotel was one of those pop-up Donald Trump merchandise tents. Nice. Yeah, I I don't want to get into politics here. I think our listeners uh, presumably log in to kind of get a break from from that a little bit and enjoy sports. But I want to ask you this. They had a life-size cutout of the president for people to, I guess, take photos with. Have you ever had your picture taken with a cutout of someone famous? If, If you'll indulge me a quick story, the answer is yes. Absolutely. On our way to the ACC football kickoff several, several moons ago, my former colleague Dave Fairbank and I popped into a gas station along I-85. And in there was a setup advertising Pepsi products that included a cutout life-size of then NC State coach Tom O'Brien, <laughs> one of our all-time favorites. So Comrade Fairbank and I conned the clerk into letting us have said cutout, which we then stashed in the back of our car, took to the ACC kickoff, brought into the media interviews, <laughs> and had our pictures taken with Coach O'Brien and his cutout. That is fantastic. And in my years of knowing you and Dave, I had never heard that story. That is a, that is a gem. <laughs> <laughs> and Coach O'Brien, of course, played along beautifully and just was grinning ear to ear th- throughout the entire mess. Oh, I, I can believe it. You know, it's funny that those cutouts have that effect on people. I, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast, but I briefly owned a, a bar in Harrisonburg uh, when I worked there for the paper uh, that covered James Madison. And we had one of those cutouts of uh, the world's most famous man who sells the, the on the beer ads. And we had a customer come in and he, he said, hey, wh- what would it cost for you to give me that, that cutout? 
I said, well, we, we kind of got it up with a display and we'd rather keep it. I said, but come back in a couple of weeks when we're over it and, and I would give it to you for nothing. And he said, well, I really, I really want it right now. He said, what if I give you 10 bucks? I said, no, I said, we're, we're not going to sell it. And he negotiated with me till the point that, that he was up to a number that was well beyond <laughs> the value of a free cutout from a supplier. Uh, <laughs> but I think on principle, I said no. And then I turned around and realized that while I had been negotiating, his friend had been pulling down the cutout, folding it up origami style, and trying to stick it in his jacket. <laughs> so nice. th- those cutouts can can be uh, can be quite popular. But uh, this is not a podcast about cutouts. <laughs> uh, no matter how famous, I- I'm sure there were plenty of celebrities you could have had your picture uh, taken with in South Florida had you gone that route. But you were there for football. You saw Virginia fall to Miami, nineteen to fourteen. It was a game the Cavaliers could have won, and and with the effort they gave in this one, probably would have won a week ago at Wake Forest. I asked Coach Bronco Mendenhall about the challenge of getting some consistency out of this year's roster. What they're realizing is what it truly takes, the level of preparation, the level of consistency, the level of durability, and the level of productivity needed week in and week out to win uh, in the most challenging schedule we've ever taken on as a staff out here at UVA. And so... Um, and it can hold for time or a time or three quarters of the time or even longer, but to have it hold all the way through and manifest week in and week out and game in and game out, we're struggling a little bit more with the consistency and the appreciation for preparation and what it takes to be consistent. And so I think your point is relevant, not only regarding Brennan, but uh, anyone else uh, that happens to have their hands on the ball. David, did you see a winning effort from the Cavaliers? Against most competition, Mike, yes. And I think your point is spot on that had had that effort been displayed the previous week at Wake Forest and had Armstrong been available as he was at Miami, I think Virginia walks out of Winston-Salem with a W. But Miami's at the point at that time was ranked number 11 in the country. Virginia's never beaten a team ranked that high on the road in program history. And you just can't afford to have a touchdown called back on a penalty and then miss the subsequent field goal and then have a big DPI late. And I, I know Virginia fans were up in arms about that interference call against Nick Grant. I saw it on replay I thought the flag was legit, but those are the kind of things that you can't have, and you can't burn all three of your timeouts before you know twelve minutes remain in the fourth quarter, and that that tied their hands from a clock management standpoint. So it's those little things you're not going to beat the number eleven team in the country. Yeah, you know it's interesting. I, I wrote a piece this week about what it takes to be consistent, and Mac Brown told me that early in his career he had a, another retired coach who was working in TV at the time tell him, "Hey, look, your team's only going to play its best probably four out of your eleven games." This is back when they played eleven games. Said you're probably only going to play your best four out of your eleven games. Those other seven games, you either need to be the better team, or you need to do some things to pull out a close one and not make mistakes and I thought maybe the biggest mistake, the biggest turning point in that game was when they had that uh, Henry touchdown called back. They, they had Tony Pauljan, the tight end lineup uh, incorrectly. That led to Grant Mish, the other tight end, uh, being ineligible downfield. Uh, 
What did you see there? And, and did that feel at the moment like, man, that's going to cost them? Absolutely. Mike, it was third and goal at the 24. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're thinking, okay, they got no chance to convert here. Maybe they gain 10 or 12 yards to make it an easier field goal attempt for Brian Delaney. But no, Miami totally busts a coverage. And Henry, in what would have been his first catch as a Cavalier, the transfer from St. Francis, he is lonesome in the right corner of the end zone. Armstrong throws it to him, touchdown. Virginia's going to take the lead, and no, doesn't happen. And then because of the penalty, and then subsequently, Delaney misses the field goal. Yeah, just a, a brutal stretch there. And Brennan Armstrong said after the game that um, that felt like a moment they could have grabbed momentum, grabbed control, and um, you know just a, a penalty that shouldn't happen. And, and honestly, David, you think about it, uh, it's an alignment mistake. And if it happens on any other play, <laughs> we're not talking about it uh, on Tuesday morning, You know how many hours after the game. But it happened to occur on the play that led to the touchdown that could have changed things for them. And uh, that's why it's still a topic. Now, there was positive in the game. I thought the offense moved the ball well with, with Armstrong. They didn't uh, necessarily finish drives. But uh, offensively, the identity that they're forging with Brendan Armstrong back at quarterback, do you like what you see? I do. You know, Mike, in his first two starts, he had more than 300 yards total offense in each. And yes, there there were turnovers, but I, I, I liked what I saw. And then he misses most of the NC State game after getting concussed, then is out for Wake Forest with the protocol. And this past week, you know, ran for 91, threw for a buck 80, threw the, threw the late touchdown pass to Henry, which was, was not called back and made it 19-14, and did not turn the ball over. You know, turnover chain Miami. Virginia did not have a, a, a T.O. in that game. And I, I thought Armstrong really, his mobility gave Miami trouble. Now, to Miami's credit, and Bronco Mendenhall made a point of this after the game, in the first half, that quarterback rotation that you saw in the UVA Wake Forest game with Keaton Thompson and Ira Armstead doing a lot of running out of, you know, from the quarterback position. Virginia worked that a lot in the first half, and it was effective. But Miami adjusted and really forced them out of that. So in the second half, it was primarily Armstrong under center. Yeah, and I imagine that'll be something they, they see again if they find rhythm and success with Thompson and Armstead. I think um, right now, I mean, just from what you've seen, you'd say, all right, let's meet. Let's make Brennan Armstrong try to beat us throwing the ball. He may prove to be very capable, but uh, definitely smart from, from Manny Diaz's club. Now, I was also impressed with Charles Snowden, the outside linebacker who we've banged on a little bit for, for not making the big plays, right? Bronco even said he's been steady but hasn't been impactful. Well, he was pretty impactful Saturday night. I think he finished eight tackles, three and a half of them behind the line of scrimmage. There was a sack in there. I believe he got his hand on a ball, broke up a pass. Uh, it looked like he had maybe his most impactful game. David, they're going to need that this week because they're facing an offense in North Carolina that uh, maybe even a little more supercharged than the one from Miami. 
Oh, I don't, I don't think there's maybe about it, Mike. <laughs> I, I, I think the Tar Heels are better offensively than Miami. And we, we were talking to, to Bronco about this yesterday. How often do you see a college football team return a, a quarterback who threw more than 30 touchdown passes? B, two wideouts who caught, who caught passes for more than a thousand yards each and two terrific running backs. And Carolina returned all that, all five of those guys. And right now, Javante Williams and Michael Carter, who just steamrolled Virginia Tech a few weeks ago in Chapel Hill, they're on pace to give Carolina 2,000 yard backs for the first time since 1993. And who was the Tar Heels coach in 1993? One Mac Brown. History repeats itself. You know, it's amazing. Talking to Mac yesterday, he said that the coaching staff uh, counted up 27 tackles that his offensive players broke. And a big part of that was, was Carter and, and Williams. And, you know, Virginia's been a good tackling team. They've been a really good run defense team for the most part this season. It's going to be a fascinating matchup. Um, I'm really intrigued because to me, if you have Carter and Williams uh, running in an offensive line, that's getting the job done. Um, you know, that you know, when, when Max said about you're going to play your best in four games, well, those guys can probably pick up many of the other seven right there. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. And I, I presume those 27 broken tackles were in the NC State game on, on Saturday. That's correct. Yeah. And boy, they look good. Well, they win that game by 27 points. Yeah. And just NC State never had a chance. And I agree with him. Like Virginia's been pretty good against the run, except some, you know, some fit problems. They they had that long one against them at Wake Forest. They were much better against the run against Miami. They got to get Joey Blunt and Brenton Nelson back at, at the safety spot. They really need them. Yeah, that defense is is different with those guys, and we've talked about this a, a thousand times. It feels like, but um, those are playmaking safeties. Those aren't yeah. just do their assignment. And you know they've gotten through and gotten by with some young kids in there, but uh, the defense is is much better, obviously, with those guys out there. The defense was was okay against Miami, and and that brings us kind of neatly to this week's take it or leave it. Yeah, let's continue talking about the UVA defense. It is take it or leave it. Thanks, Mike. After slowing down the Miami offense, holding the Hurricanes to just 19 points, UVA will be able to do the same to Carolina on Saturday. Take it or leave it. Let's start with David. I'm going to leave it, guys, because I just don't believe Virginia's going to hold North Carolina to two touchdowns. On Saturday, I just think the Tar Heels are too potent offensively and too balanced. That that's what I think makes them so good. Mike, yeah, I'm going to leave it too. I you know I I take half of it, which is not an option in the question. <laughs> I do think Virginia will be able to come out, and I think we're going to be impressed with what they do with Carter and Williams. I think they're going to basically come out and say, "Hey, we're." We're not going to let you just run up and down our field. I think they're going to be able to do that. I think they're going to play behind the line of scrimmage. I think they're going to get some dent in the line. I think we're all going to walk away really impressed again with the run defense. But to David's point, you can take away (laughs) the run from Carolina, and they can beat you all day long with that passing game. So um, that's kind of how I envision it. I, I think Virginia will have some success defensively. I think they will have some things 
put on film afterward that they can be happy with, but I don't know that they're going to love the number that's up on the scoreboard when it's all said and done. Now, that North Carolina team, it already has a win over a Commonwealth foe, having beaten Virginia Tech a couple weeks back. The Hokies bounced back from that loss with a, a lopsided home win over Boston College. Khalil Herbert, he had a, another game just racking up the rushing yards. The defense, it, it was getting whole and, and showing signs of living up to its potential. And then came this past Saturday down in Winston-Salem where I was, and I thought a lackluster, mistake-riddled, 23-16 loss to the Demon Deacons. Tech was a 10-point favorite in this one, but the Hokies, they just they didn't look like themselves. They didn't look like the Hokies. Herbert, he had his least productive game at Tech. Uh, Wake converted at 1.3 fourth downs on one of those clock-eating scoring drives that really, I thought, set the tone for the game. Uh, Carlos Basham, a Roanoke native, he was a force again. He made a huge stop on on. The team's first possession and then got a big sack late at the game to kind of seal things. Uh, David, I think you and I both kind of expected to see Tech really find itself, really kind of kick it into high gear after beating Boston College, getting guys back. Instead, what did you see? I saw Virginia Tech team, Mike, for the fourth time in Justin Fuente's five seasons, lose as a double-digit favorite. Mm. I mean, it may have happened twice in 2016 when they won the Coastal. There were only two ACC losses at Syracuse and home to Georgia Tech. They were they, they were two touchdown favorites or more in, in, in each of those games. And then, of course, at Old Dominion two years later when they're, what, four touchdown favorites and, and, and lose that game. It was – you're right. It was lackluster. They they fell behind ten nothing, and just never seemed to really get engaged. Most penalty yards they've ever had under Justin Fuente. You know, Hendon Hooker throws three picks. Granted, the the one at the end was desperation, but the other two were in in scoring chances. Just. You don't have that kind of margin for error when you're not Clemson. That's right. And let's let's talk a little bit more about, about Hooker. And he did throw that career high in picks. And he had just two and 218 career passes going into the day, a statistic that you kindly shared with me as I was pecking away at my story. <laughs> uh, but you're right. The, the first one was tipped off a receiver's hands, Caleb Smith, and um, kind of flew into what would have been a dead spot, but there was a trail defensive back. Uh, the last one, that desperation heave late in the game, Justin Fonte kind of wrote that one off. Not, not that he's happy to have the ball picked off, but um, you know it wasn't a mistake necessarily uh, by Hendon, but the one in the middle was just a bad decision. Here's Coach Justin Fuente on his quarterback's performance. Yeah, I mean, if he thinks he's going to go through the whole season you know, not turning the ball over or never making a mistake, I mean, that's pretty unrealistic expectations for a guy that handles the ball every single snap. So uh, he'll bounce back fine. Uh, you know, like I said, he had a good day yesterday. Um, you know, you got to be able to handle those things. You've got to have broad shoulders. And, um, you know, the quarterback gets way too much credit when we win and way too much blame when we lose. That just comes with the job. And, you know, the quicker you realize that, the, the quicker uh, you, can, you can move forward either after a good performance or a bad performance. It's interesting to hear Justin, who, who was a college quarterback, was a 
QB coach, offensive coordinator, talk about Hooker. And, you know, the focus there was, hey, bouncing back and, and, and you know, getting yourself mentally over it. He, he wasn't particularly harsh with his quarterback. I think he really likes what he has in Hendon Hooker, don't you? I do. And, you know, because Hooker gives him both, especially something in the running game. And then when the running game's clicking, Hooker's able to, to hurt teams throwing the ball. What he has not shown the ability to do, Mike, is just when Virginia Tech has to pass, either because they're considerably behind or because defense dic- defense is dictated, and he's just not going to sit back there and chuck it 50 times for 350 and four touchdowns. At least he has not shown that yet. Yeah, and that's an interesting point because, David, teams are, are very, 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 very aware of what Khalil Herbert has done running the ball. That should open up throws for Hooker in this passing game, no? Yes. I mean, because if, if I'm an opposing coordinator, you know, I'm putting eight in the box, right? Absolutely. I mean, and that's, you know, we did see Wake do that and we've seen other opponents do that. Um, Justin Fuente made reference to that in his press conference Monday, but we haven't really seen the plays or the depth from the receiving core that I think we thought, you know, uh, Trey Turner has dealt with some things. He's been in and out. Mm -hmm. Uh, James Mitchell's been good, but they've used him a lot, you know, in creative ways. And that's great, but not as a straight downfield receiving threat. The two transfers we haven't really heard from yet um what do you see from this receiving core and do they have the pieces to help hooker get the passing game going yeah i I would have expected more from tavion robinson at at this point too mike i he showed flashes last year i think he's got some potential but yeah the 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 transfers haven't haven't seen much there um mitchell they they rave about his his ability his his versatility and I think we all like him as a player but just in terms of the sheer passing game no the numbers haven't been there so and you know who else I'm looking to see more in the passing game at least based off what we heard during preseason <laughs> I think Raheem, I do know yeah yep. Raheem Blackshear right. Yeah, uh, Justin Fuente raved about him, his versatility. And, you know, it's interesting. They, they've tried to get Blackshear involved early, early in games, um, sort of oddly in the red zone this past weekend um, when Herbert came out after kind of getting them down there. Now, Justin Fuente joked that, you know, Herbert's a little little winded by the time they reach the red zone because he's usually the guy who carried them there. But um, they've lined up Blackshear at the slot. They've moved him like an H-back. They've done interesting things with him. Uh, we haven't seen the pop, and it is interesting. You know, I thought, David, we, we both spent the preseason expecting uh, Virginia Tech to have a, a breakout year from a transfer running back, and I think we both thought it was going to be Blackshear, not Herbert. Right. As, yeah, when, when, when the NCAA ruled Blackshear – eligible you could just visualize after all we'd heard you could just visualize the tech coaching staff doing the virtual high fives right <laughs> you know, I, probably protocol precludes the the real high five but yeah i mean you, you just saw them celebrating because they really thought they could do some things with him on offense creatively and to date have not seen it Virtual high fives, another potential good use for those life-size cutouts that we talked about (laughs) earlier. Turn around and high five your cardboard cutout of your head coach. Now, that head coach, Justin Fuente, one thing he's done incredibly well in his time at Tech 
is the bounce back. Mm-hmm. He, he's 12 and four in regular season games after a loss. That's pretty impressive number. That's how you avoid uh, the losing streaks that bury you in this conference. Now, next up for the Hokies is a game Saturday at Louisville. You'll be there for that one. The Cardinals kind of one of the, the bigger disappointments, I think it's fair to say, in the ACC through the first third of the season. But they put up 48 points in a win over Florida State. We talked about all the weapons North Carolina has on offense. Louisville isn't hurting for talent on that side of the ball, is it? Absolutely not. You know, Malik Cunningham at quarterback, 2-2 Atwell at wideout, Javian Hawkins, who ran for 180-some yards. Granted, against Florida State and the, the Knowles, you just never know what kind of effort you're going to get from them. But but absolutely. And one thing Justin Fuente said to us yesterday, and it was I'd heard the exact same thing from Manny Diaz before Miami played Louisville, and that is Louisville one, runs the stretch play better than anybody in the country. They just rave about how the cards do that. And if and if you'll allow me just one indulgence here, Mike, and let me climb up on my soapbox. <laughs> Louisville joined the ACC in 2014. How absurd is it that this is the first football game between Louisville and Virginia Tech in those six years? They have got to fix this scheduling model. Yeah, it's a great point. And you asked Justin Fuente about that on, on Monday, um, I believe. And it's it's just such an odd quirk to, to have the schedule work the way it does. Yeah. And, and actually, had the pandemic not hit, sources tell me that the athletic directors were well on their way to adjusting the the, the scheduling model. And if, well, hopefully not if, but when we clear COVID-19 and all the issues associated with it, I believe the athletic directors will have a chance to to sit down and figure out a way to to solve this because it absolutely has to get fixed. You know, playing six of your quote-unquote conference rivals only once every six years is just it's not tenable yeah and it's a good conference you know what i mean if if it was a a subpar conference where you really needed to bolster your strength of schedule you didn't have intriguing matchups you didn't have um some of the regional matchups and rivalries that you have i could see the the thought but it's like hey these teams should be playing each other, right? It makes sense, and, and it's going to be good games, and I think it's going to be better for everybody. David, I I know I hate to be this guy who says it, silver lining of the pandemic maybe has been more conference games. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Ten conference games, and I, I don't know if the athletic directors will opt to go from eight to nine or ten games. Um, but before the scheduling arrangement with Notre Dame, they had decided to go to nine. But then when Notre Dame came in on a partial basis and agreed to play on average five ACC teams a year, they they backtracked to eight. And there are schools like Clemson that are insistent that they have to have seven home games a year financially, not only for the athletic department, but for the community, because it's such an economic boom. 
So whether the, the league as a whole will agree to go to more than eight games, I don't know. But I think you're certainly going to see teams play one another more frequently. Heck, Mike, two weeks ago, Duke and North Carolina State. That's a grueling 25-mile drive from Duke <laughs> to NC State. They played for the first time since 2013. That's I mean, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable <laughs> in a league, David, when you think about those two teams and their basketball rivalry, right? And mm-hmm. and we see these schools. We see the rivalry. We see the passion. Why do we not get it a little more often? Yeah, and, and, and one other little nugget on this, Louisville's closest ACC rival geographically by just a couple miles, and this doesn't include Notre Dame because they're usually not in the league for football, is Virginia Tech. Blacksburg's about two miles closer to Louisville than is Pittsburgh. How about that? So that should be the natural geographic rivalry then? Yes. (laughs) Well, the Hokies do go uh, to Louisville as three-and-a-half-point road favorites. UVA is a a six-and-a-half-point home underdog against Carolina. Are either of those good bets? Well, joining us now, as he will each week for the rest of the football season, is Roanoke Times columnist Aaron McFarling for our new segment, Amax Puppy Chow. Aaron, he'll give us his best bet in the ACC, an, an upset special from somewhere across the land, and maybe weigh in on Tech and UVA as well each week. Aaron, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure. I'm, I'm proud to be a part of this franchise. I listen every week, and you guys do a great job, and I'm ready to maybe add a little bit uh, of gambling component to this. Well, we love it. We love having you. Let's get to the chow, shall we? Yeah. You, have an ups- you have an upset you love this week? I do. Uh, I'm going to take Auburn. I feel like this line is moving in the wrong direction. They're at home against LSU. Uh, this uh, this line opened as a pick and it's moved three points in LSU's direction, which, which I don't like. I, I like Auburn in this spot. Uh, the, in this series, the underdog is king. Uh, the underdog has covered the last four times these two teams have played. The home team is 8-3 and three against the spread in the last 11 meetings. I, I like – You'll, you'll notice a trend with me over over time that I like uh, head-to-head trends because uh, my my history as a as an athlete, uh, you know, we had two two. I was a pitcher in high school and college, and in high school we had two other teams in our in our county, and they were both very uh, similar in terms of quality. And uh, one of them owned me, and the other I owned, and it just made no sense. And I, I kind of used that whole strategy when trying to find the best underdog on the board. And this, in this case, I think Auburn's the pick. That's good. The, the SEC has been fairly upset prone in its short time joining us for the 2020 season. It has, and you know, David Teal is the one who picked out that stat over the weekend that uh, you know home teams in the ACC are something like seventy-one percent winning, and yeah. and that's like up from like fifty-four percent last year. It makes zero sense. I forgot to ask Fuente about that on the press conference this week because I thought that was a maybe a good uh, discussion of just why is it so difficult to win on the road in coronavirus times. But I'm hopeful here that it's a, a, a problem for the Tigers, the visiting Tigers, and uh, the the host Tigers get it done. Yeah, I feel like every uh, gambling bet, every prediction has a little asterisk because of COVID this year. Everything's a little more complicated. How about here in the ACC? Do you have a best bet on the ACC board? 
Yeah, and it's going to belie uh, the name of the segment. Uh, I, you know, I am a puppy chow guy. I love underdogs, and I seek underdogs. I just don't see a ton on the board that I like uh, in the ACC. So I'm going to go with Wake Forest. I'm going to lay the lumber uh, at Syracuse, and that goes against the the home thing we just talked about. But but Wake has made a believer out of me. I mean, they don't turn the ball over, and that's really against a bad Syracuse team this year. Uh, that's really the only way you're going to get beat by them is to uh, is to to be very sloppy with the ball and give them extra chances. And I don't think Wake's going to do that. Now, if you look at just just plain statistics, and my column over the weekend was about this, but I mean Tech out gained Wake Tech, you know, uh, you know, on a per play average and overall, uh, the numbers suggested Tech should have won that game, but they turned it over and they committed a bunch of penalties. Uh, and, and Wake's able to capitalize on that kind of sloppiness. And I think uh, there's going to be plenty of sloppiness from Syracuse this week, despite their uh, decent showing against Clemson, one of the better showings anybody's had against Clemson. And so I'm willing to lay the 11 points here. That makes sense. I mean, we've seen how bad Syracuse can be, and I think maybe it's time to start becoming a little bit of a believer in Wake Forest. I saw them in person back-to-back weeks. So maybe there, there's something there for the Demon Deacons. Finally, the two clubs here in the Commonwealth, <laughs> uh, Virginia, Virginia Tech. We opened the segment talking about their lines. Either of them a good bet this weekend? I don't love either one of them. If I was going to – if I were forced to take one or the other, I would probably lean on Virginia. You know, North Carolina's flattened out a bit. I mean, they, they kind of bounce back, but we don't really know what – NC State's bringing to the table with the quarterback situation there anymore. Um, I think they've kind of peaked. And so uh, I, I think Virginia, with, with Armstrong back in the mix, uh, they certainly, you know, they put on a, a, a very competitive showing uh, at Miami. Uh, that, that's a difficult place to, to, to lose a game by, what, five points, whatever it was, uh, the final. So uh, I think Virginia, you know, I don't think they're going to quit on Mendenhall. I mean, that's just not uh, the way that program operates. And I think their their best days are ahead of them. So uh, I believe that line is six and a half uh, or what, whatever it is. But, yeah, six and a half now is what I'm seeing. And uh, the public is very, very strong on, on the Tar Heels. But uh, go ahead and give me the Cavaliers. And, um, you know, I, I would maybe sprinkle a little money on the, on the uh, money line, too. Uh, to for an outright win maybe this is the week uh, uva really gets right so get your wallets out thanks aaron thanks for doing this thanks for joining us my pleasure guys thanks a lot that's aaron mcfarland columnist for the roanoke times and that was amax puppy chow now david you have a column running this week looking ahead gasp i know college coaches avert (laughs) your eyes and ears nobody wants to look ahead except maybe brian kelly at notre dame but yeah how about that right that's a little break from the norm you wrote about that in the column looking ahead to some of the potential big games later this season let's let's get right into it where you started um the acc title race and uh Maybe the race to finish second behind right. Clemson would be yeah. a better way to say it. Is it a bit clearer now? Oh, I, I think it is. And one of the games that brought a little clarity was Notre Dame's thumping of Pitt. And a lot of people were on that Pitt upset train last week for some reason. I, I was not. But for for Notre Dame to win that game by 42, and then afterward, Brian Kelly just breaks with his profession's code and says, I told our team 
forget about this one game. We need to look big picture here. We know what's ahead of us, i.e. November 7th when Clemson comes to town, and we need to up our game. We need to play better. And I was I was fascinated by that post game confessional from, from from Kelly, good Catholic that he is, and it was it was great to to hear such transparency. And Notre Dame played well, and so if you know, let's look ahead. If Notre Dame beats Georgia Tech on Saturday and Clemson beats Boston College for only the third time in ACC history. We will have a clash of no, a November clash of unbeaten teams when Clemson goes to South Bend. The first was 1990, UVA Georgia Tech, and the second was 1997, Florida State North Carolina. Now, do you think that Brian Kelly uh, was just saying the quiet part out loud, and, and that's been the the mantra in a lot of locker rooms, or do you think to manage this year's team and this year's schedule? Um, that was just the way he's playing it. I think it's just the way he's he's playing it this year, Mike. I, I think especially this season with COVID and such, coaches really have the the tunnel vision. I mean, what was it Justin Fuente said after the whole SEAL experience when he had a Navy SEAL come talk to his team? Just get to breakfast, brother. <laughs> and then if you survive breakfast, just get to lunch. And yeah. I, I think that's the way coaches have been playing it. But, you know, Ke- Kelly broke from that. And so it, it, it really looks like a, a three-team race between Miami, Notre Dame, and North Carolina to see who plays Clemson in the ACC championship game. And after Clemson-Notre Dame on the 7th, Notre Dame has a Black Friday date in Chapel Hill against the Tar Heels. And then the following week, the Tar Heels on December 5 play at Miami. Yeah, I know we've hit this before, but that end to Carolina's schedule is fascinating to me because uh, it's when you always talk about controlling your own destiny, I mean, there's a team right there (laughs) that it's going to get its shots to to put itself where it wants to be in the title game. Now, David, we've talked about, you know, who who we think is the second best, how that's all shaping up, and it kind of changes week to week. But just from an X's and O's standpoint, which of these teams do you think gives Clemson the the more matchup difficulty? I'm going to say Notre Dame, Mike because of its defense. Yeah. Uh, this is the first time, and, and this is a Brian Kelly stat. He, he trotted this out in his post game the other day. This is the first time since 2002 that Notre Dame has held consecutive opponents to single-digit points. <laughs> and, you know, 12-7 win over Louisville and then the 45-3 over Pittsburgh on Saturday. So I, I want to say the, the, the Fighting Irish because of that defense. That makes sense. Now, how about Virginia, Virginia Tech? Anything juicy left on their schedule? Any games there that you're kind of looking forward to seeing? Tech UVA. Just <laughs> de- December 12, and man, it's going to be cold in Blacksburg <laughs> yes. in, in, in the middle of December. And But Miami still has to come to Virginia Tech, right, on November 14th. I, th- I think that's an interesting game. 
Yeah, that Miami Tech one, because I think, I don't want to speak for you, but I feel like we both think that Tech still has the pieces to put it together, even if it's not going to be week in, week out, even if it's not happening fast enough to be a contender. uh, There's going to be some Saturdays that Virginia Tech looks pretty good. And and if it happens to be that Saturday that Miami is on the field with them, that could be a really interesting game. Absolutely. I I think... Tech has the horses to go toe to toe with Miami. Heck, Virginia did it. Why can't Virginia Tech? And man, you mentioned the the rivalry game being so late in the year, and it brings me back to my first game I ever covered at Virginia Tech. I was in college at Rutgers, and uh, Rutgers played at Virginia Tech back in the old Big East days. And it was it must have been November. It was it was late November, uh, and it was so cold. And I packed as I did in college so poorly for the trip that I ended <laughs> up buying. I, I believe it was a Virginia Tech hoodie a Virginia Tech beanie and Virginia Tech Hokie Bird gloves um, for the game. Which So here I was, uh, a sophomore, I believe, at Rutgers, covering the game. You're supposed to be independent. If anything, maybe I lean towards my alma mater, although with those teams, I didn't really. And here I was decked out head to toe in Virginia Tech gear because it was so blisteringly cold in Blacksburg. And I, I remember our photographer was in a, a similar bind and, and bought all of that and a, a hokey scarf that he wrapped around his face for while he was down on the field. So yeah, that's what you got to look forward to for b- December football in Blacksburg. Self-preservation, man. You do what you got to do. Speaking of games that are coming down the pipe that we're interested in seeing, that brings us nicely to this week's Who You Got. Thank you, Mike. It is Who You Got. If you could only watch one college football regular season game, ACC or otherwise, for the rest of the year, knowing what you know right now, what game would it be? Let's start with Mike. Yeah, knowing what I know right now is is very little. <laughs> so I'm going to go back to uh, Michigan and Ohio State because I know almost nothing about the Big Ten. Um, we think those teams are pretty good. We think there, there's some uh, sizzle to the league. They are one of the later leagues to start. So not that it's not on my viewing calendar every year, but I think Michigan, Ohio State right now, as we sit here uh, at my desk with a cup of water I spilled on my laptop right now, that is the, <laughs> the game that uh, I'm sort of most intrigued by nationally. David? My Michigan-Ohio State is a great choice, if only for the Harbaugh drama, right? Yes. I mean, he hasn't beaten those cats, and most years he hasn't come close. And if if they lose again, ay, 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 the angst, the angst in Ann Arbor will be off the charts. So I'm right there. And by the way, that game is December 12 as well. I think it might be a little nippy in the shoe on December 12th. Well, I can't even imagine the apparel I would have to buy if I was covering that game. No. And, you know, imagine Woody Hayes in his short sleeves for, for that. But, but, but I digress. Sorry, people. Google it, kids, if you're not familiar. Uh, I, I'm still going to take uh, Notre Dame Clemson. I mean, that's the game I've had circled ever since the ACC released the schedule. It is going to be two undefeateds in November, barring epic upsets this week. And I think it's a it's a terrific matchup. Eager to see Notre Dame's defense against that offense. And, and maybe the first of two 
games between the two because you could easily see a rematch in Charlotte for the conference championship. So that may end up being our regular season game we want to see the most and maybe our postseason game we want to see the most. Well, that's our show for this week. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts. Just find the RTD Podcast channel and Please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the Times-Dispatch. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. This show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. And please join David and me again next week.